Well, last week we were in the book of Matthew, and, and you'll notice we kind of talked about how the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they kind of all tell, you know, kind of a, a similar story. Last week we, we kind of kicked off with the, you know, the prophetic work and the prophetic message of John the Baptist. We talked about the birth of Christ when he came in, the Messiah arrived just as had been predicted in the Old Testament. We talked about how that he began his ministry. We talked about his baptism. We talked about how he was tempted in the wilderness. And then we, then we talked about how he called those to follow after him. And we specifically kind of honed in on uh, that story about when Matthew followed after Jesus when he said, follow me, of how Jesus cared about those that even society had kicked aside, had pushed aside, that society had denigrated in so many ways. And so we, we talked about that. Now, oh, oh, this week and last week and then the next two weeks, we're kind of walking through the narrative of the Gospels, kind of telling the stories, because all the Gospels are kind of laid out in a similar fashion. Like all of them tell about how, you know, Jesus performed miracles and how he taught great things and how he preached great sermons. And then it moves on to how he then was uh, getting, you know, more and more uh, people who were against him, more and more, you know, kind of pushing back on that message. And then it gets into the fact that, you know, they came after him and they, they, the trials that took place. And then, of course, the crucifixion. And then all of them talk about the fact that he rose again. And so, you know, this in, important message that we see so often that's found throughout the, the narrative of the Gospels or messages that we've got to grab a hold of. And so what we're doing is we're kind of like taking that entire big message of the Gospels and we're kind of breaking it down into four different sermons that kind of walk us through point by point that gets us to the end. And so today what we're going to be talking about, kind of a, an area that's like really a big focus in all the Gospels, is kind of like some miraculous events, you know, some big things that, that Jesus did. And so in the context of it, the narrative of the book of Mark, so like Mark, you know, the nephew of Barnabas, he's a guy that, you know, that, that came along and kind of wrote, the, wrote this book kind of focused on the Gentiles, focused on those who were not within the group of Jewish believers, kind of focused on those who, you know, that Paul eventually would reach out to and, you know, and Peter would re reach out to. We know that, in fact, Mark actually traveled along with Paul and Barnabas on one of the missionary trips. And so God used him in that, that way. And so while he was writing to the Gentiles, he wasn't really concerned about or worried about the genealogy of Christ. He wasn't worried about like telling the story of how you, know, you could find that thread that took Jesus all the way back to David. He, he wasn't worried about that. And so he kind of like jumps right in. You know, he jumps right in talking about John the Baptist. He jumps right in talking about the things that Jesus did. Talks about these miraculous things. And so like right in the first few chapters of this book, we see, you know, some of those miracles that Jesus performed. And today we're going to focus on two of those. And one of them is really well known and one of them, one of them is not really well known. And so the first one is the feeding of the 5,000. Like how many of you have heard of the feeding of the 5,000? Just raise your hand, right? I mean, we've all heard of that one, right? We've all, we, we've heard the sermons, we've read the book, we, you know, we, we, we've watched the Veggie Tale. We, we've done all that stuff, right? And so we, we've got that down. We know the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the five loaves, the two fish. You know, there's even a, a song about it. I mean, we, we've got that, right? Well, the second one we're going to talk about today is one that's a little lesser known. And that's the feeding of the 4,000. How many of you have heard of the feeding of the 4,000 before? Yep, a lot of you. How many of you have watched the VeggieTales version of the feeding of the 4,000? Raise your hand. Yeah, the, you have not because there's not one. You see, it's a story that's not told that much because it's like not as big a deal, you know, in the human perspective, right? 
Because feed into the 5,000, like that's a lot of people. Feed into the 4,000, well, that's just not quite as many, right? Everybody talks about the big show. Everybody talks about the big deal. So people spend a lot of time talking about the feed into the 5,000, but, but very few kind of talk about the feed into the 4,000. Not a lot of sermons about the feed into the 4,000. It's kind of a, a story that, that's in there, but like really, really not, you know, as significant from a human perspective according to some beliefs. In fact, some theologians would even say that, that it really is kind of like the same event. The feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000 really was the exact same thing. Now, some theologians would say that. The problem is, is that they're, they're absolutely wrong because Jesus himself in the book of Matthew even talked about, hey, remember when I fed the 5,000? Oh, yes. And remember when I fed the 4,000? Jesus himself even talked about it, two different perspectives. So those theologians who say it's the same event, well, they're, they're just dumb. So today we're going to kind of spend our time focused on the feeding of the 4,000 because here's what I would submit to you today, and I hope you get it. I think there's lessons within the feeding of the 4,000 that are more significant than the feeding of the 5,000. I think today there's some truths that you will get that I got, I've got to be honest with you, like, like I picked up on this week, that to be quite frank with you are more significant than the feeding of the 5,000. I, I think they can be more life-changing for you and for me as we kind of walk through the story. So, so that's what we're going to kind of, you know, do. Now, before we jump into it, I'll give you a little context of kind of what's happening here. So, you know, Jesus has begun his ministry. You know he began his ministry up in the Galilee region, right? So he's up in, you know, the Capernaum area and, you know, all in that region. He's going down from Bethsaida and different places. He, he you know, he preached the Sermon on the Mount there just off the shores of, of the Sea of Galilee. And then, and then he did come to that time when he fed the 5,000. And that was a that, that was a place that, that you can even go visit today. It's, it's probably in the region of Tagba, uh, which is a little bit north of Tiberias, a little bit south of Capernaum, right in that region there. In fact, you know, you can visit that. We're, we're going to visit it next February when we go to Israel. And man, we'd love to have you go along with us and you can get some information out in the lobby about that. But, but the feeding of the 4,000 was in a different place. So like where the feeding of the 5,000 took place, there's lots of people over there, right? But the 4,000, it took place over on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, like, like a different place across the, across the lake, over in the region of the Decapolis. And, and you, you might have recognized that phrase, the Decapolis. Ten cities, ten cities that were over there, largely populated by Gentiles, largely populated by, by a different group of people, a different segment of the population that, that Jesus had been spending time with. And so now he's over on that side, and he's out there, and it even says, and you'll see it in a moment, talks about a desolate place. Like, like this was the wilderness, like this was out in the country. You know, there's not a McDonald's within 30 miles of where he is. I mean, it's like way out there, right? Chick-fil-A, you can't go through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A out where he is, right? So he's out there, and it says a lot of people heard that he was there, and they all wanted to come see and hear what Jesus had to say. They all wanted to show up and be in that place because they had heard a little bit about the things that Jesus had been doing. In fact, when, when you look at the book of Mark, like it's really kind of in two sections, like one section talks about the miracles, one section talks about his crucifixion and resurrection. But in that, that first part of the miracles, man, man, it focuses on like 17 miracles that Jesus performed where he, where he defeated disease and, and nine where he defeated nature and, and six where he defeated demons and three where he defeated death, where he raised the dead. I mean, they had heard a lot of great things about what Jesus had done. So they're coming from everywhere. And they're all out there in this deserted place. They're all out there wanting to hear what it is that Jesus had to say. And so in Mark chapter 8, we begin to see, we be, <laughs> I actually looked at my Bible to make sure that I had it the right way. 
I looked at it, and then I opened it, and guess what it was? It was upside down. I looked at it the wrong way. So I actually took the time to do that, and I blew it. Okay, Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Here's what it says. And in those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. And he called the disciples, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, Jesus speaking, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? Then Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? And he asked them, they said, seven. How many, uh, he goes on to say, so he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the people, so they served them to the crowd, and they also had a few small fish, and afterward he had blessed them, after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied, then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. Okay, so let's jump right in. Some things that we can learn from this little-known story that is kind of a parallel to the bigger-known story of the feeding of the 5,000. And the first lesson we can learn is that Jesus is always, 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 we could add a lot more always there, He is always sensitive to our needs. Like Jesus is always fixed on what we are going through. He always notices, He always recognizes, He never misses out on our great need. Look what it says in verse 1 and 2 again. It says these words, that in those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. So like right out of the gate here, in Mark chapter 8, He noticed these people were hungry. Now you'll notice here it doesn't say the people were grumbling. It doesn't say they were complaining. It doesn't say they were saying, hey, excuse me, we need food. They weren't sitting there trying to call Domino's and Domino's saying, you're outside of our delivery area. No, it doesn't say any of that stuff. What it says is, is that right out of the gate that the people were there and they had nothing to eat and Jesus noticed it right away. So, he called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. These people are hungry. They're hungry. They're hurting. He noticed it right up front because they've already stayed with me three days out here in the wilderness and they have nothing to eat. Listen, I, the parallel I want you to get is this. No matter what you're going through, when you get to the place when you feel like no one cares, where Jesus has turned his back, he's not focused on you, you can't imagine where he is, it seems like God is like completely out of the picture in your life. Here's what I know, and God's word bears it up. He knows your need before you do. The Bible tells us that over and over again. Like, He knows what we need even before we ask Him. That, that He knows everything that we're going through, every situation, every trial, every tribulation. And let's be honest, there are times in our lives where we, like, wonder where Jesus is, right? I mean, let's be honest. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm 54, I've been a Christian now for 48 years. There have been a lot of times in my life where I've wondered, like, where is God in this situation? Let's be honest. Like, how many of you at some time in your life like, where's God? Like, come on, be honest. Like, like, where is God in this situation? It's a tough time. It's a difficult journey. Like, like man, I, I just, I can't see Him. I can't see Him at work. And probably those people that were gathered there in that desolate place who would come to hear Jesus, to hear what He had to say, to see what He had to do, and they're sitting there and they're hungry. They've been there for three days now. And before they even had the opportunity to say, like, hey, we are mad because we're hungry, Jesus had compassion on them. So the lesson right out of the gate, get it, Jesus has compassion with what you're going through. He knows your need. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knew it yesterday. He'll know it tomorrow. He knew what you were going through a long time ago. God is always fixed and focused on what we are going through. But while we know that 
according to this passage. Jesus is always fixed on. He's always sensitive to our needs. The second thing we can learn is this, is that we are always way too quick to forget of the faithfulness of God. Like, like we, we lose sight of it so quickly. Look what it says here. Again, we keep reading in this passage in verse 4. In verse 4, so his disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. It says his disciples asked, where in the world are we going to get enough food to feed these people? If you go back a couple of chapters, you don't need to turn there, but in Mark chapter 6 is where we read about the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I don't know if it was like a week later, a month later. We don't really know the, you know, the narrative of time here. But, but I can guarantee you that those disciples who had been there back in Mark chapter 6, when they, you know, when they were there and they came to Jesus and said, hey, these people are hungry, send them home because they need food. And Jesus said, you feed them. And then they said, well, what are we supposed to do? Go out and like, use all of our money to buy them food? And, and he says, well, what do you have? And they said, remember, five loaves, two fish. And we all know the value. Like, we can see Bob Tomato telling us a story right now, right? Like, like so five loaves, two fishes, right? And so, so, so Jesus took them, and he blessed them, and then he multiplied them, and then they had enough food for everybody there. You remember the story, right? Now, again, I don't know if it was a day later, a week later, a month later. I don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us this. But here's what I know. If I would have been there in Mark chapter 6, I sure would have remembered it in Mark chapter 8. I sure would have remembered what God did with five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, like I would have, like as soon as Jesus said, these people, I have compassion on them, and they don't have any food, and they've been here for three days, like I'm, immediately I would have picked up on, okay, Jesus is about to do something really cool. Like, I think we would have noticed that. Now, we can say that in hindsight, but when we're there, it says his disciples said, well, we'll send them home. Like, like how in the world are we going to have enough food to be able to provide out here in the middle of the wilderness? We can't call Domino's. We can't call Panera Bread. We can't go to Chick-fil-A. We can't do any of that kind of stuff. Like, Jesus, there's not enough food here. How quick we are to forget what Jesus has done for us yesterday, aren't we? Every single one of the parallel in our lives is, man, we are so quick to forget. Again, I can tell you a thousand times in my life where, I, where God has just done something miraculous. Going back in these 48 years of following Christ, like I, I know that there are time and time again where I can point you to places where Jesus like did just amazing things. But I can also point you to a thousand and one times going back where right after Jesus did something amazing, like a few days later, a few weeks later, a few months later, like I completely forgot all about it when I was going through a new crisis and I was like, what in the world am I going to do now? Like Jesus can't meet my need now. God's not going to do this now. There's no way. This is impossible. That's what the disciples did. We are so quick to forget. We are so quick to lose sight Man, what a tragic story that is that the disciples, the one who had followed after him, the one that were closest to him, the ones who had seen all of those amazing things, even in this early stages of his ministry, they had seen him do some pretty incredible things, and yet they had forgotten everything that Jesus had done. When he said, these people are hungry, and they were like, well, what are we supposed to do about it? How in the world can we get food out here in the middle of the desert? Which brings us to the third thing we can learn in this passage, and it's this, is that while we're all quick to forget, Jesus is always quick to remind us of his faithfulness. Now, now, now pick this up, right? So in verse 4, we just read it, like, where can anyone get enough food here in this desolate place to feed these people? Verse 5, listen to what Jesus said. How many loaves do you have? 
Now, can, can you picture it like right now? Like when, when, when the disciples said, how in the world can we get enough food? And then Jesus like immediately comes right back, well, how many loaves do you have? Can you imagine what, like, like light bulbs that went off right then? Can you imagine like how the, like the gut punch the disciples felt right? Like, oh man, we forgot what he did a couple of days ago. Can you imagine what the disciples, like they were probably like jockeying for the back of the line. You know, we used to always read the stories how the disciples were like, hey, I'm better than him. You know, I'm closer. Who's going to be more close to you in heaven? Right now it's like, yeah, let's go over here and hide behind a tree because they just been reminded when Jesus said, hey, how many loaves do you have this time? I mean, can you, I, would love, I would love to have been Jesus a couple of times back in the, to be able to say some of those lines, right? Like that's one of the greatest lines in all of history. You know, the disciples, well, how can we get enough food to feed these people? And Jesus, so how many loaves do you have with you this time, huh? I mean, you can just see how those disciples had to have been like just blown away like in that moment, like, oh, I missed that. I forgot what he did before. And so they said, we've got seven. So in that minute, in that moment, Jesus took the opportunity to remind them of his faithfulness, but he always takes the time to remind us of his faithfulness too. And here's how he does it. He's not doing it to try to stick the knife in our back. He's not doing it to try to slap us upside the head and say, you dummy, don't you remember? It doesn't say here, you know, you dumb disciples. How many do you got this? No, none of that. He just simply says, well, how many, how many loaves of bread do you have? Now, the way he does it in our lives is this, is that every time we're going through a crisis moment, every time we're hurting, we pick up God's word, and here's what God does. God just simply reminds of his faithfulness. Happens to me so many times. Every one of those thousand and one times where I've forgotten the faithfulness of God, like, like it, it's just inevitable. There's going to be a moment where I'll pick up God's word. And sometimes it could be something as stupid as like, you know, just doing like that. And you look at the passage, oh, I'm in the book of Isaiah here. And you read a verse and it was like, that's exactly the verse that you need. Ever done that? Be honest. We've all done it. Why? Because God is always quick to remind us of his faithfulness. And I'm so glad that he is because we are also quick to forget. He is long suffering. Like he's always patient with each and every one of us. And man, we need him to be because we're so dumb and we forget so much. And we blow it so many times, and yet Jesus keeps coming back and says, so, so how, many, how many loaves do you have? Now, here's the cool thing. Last thing I'm going to share with you. And this, this, and this is the part. I want you to get this now. This right here, what I'm about to give to you out of God's Word, is what I found this week, what hit me this week, which probably in my mind makes this a greater miracle than the feeding of the 5,000. It took place back in Mark chapter 6, okay? So here it is. He will never let you down. Now, let me give you this. Mark chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. So he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the, five, uh, took the seven loaves. He gave thanks. He broke them. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. And they also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. So they ate and they were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. Okay? So now just bear with me here for a minute. So... You saw what Jesus did, right? So how many loaves do you have? We've got seven. Okay, bring them to me. You know, he prayed over them. He blessed them. And he said, hey, go take this out to the people. And we know the story, right? We can see it. Like they kept passing the baskets down the line. Like everybody had enough food. Like everybody's like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. The disciples even still like blown away. Like I cannot believe this guy can do this. That was awesome. And then at the end, they were all satisfied. Everybody's full. Everybody's stuffed, right? They're taking the Sunday afternoon nap now. Everything's great. And then they collected seven large baskets left over. 
So you can see the parallel, right, between Mark chapter 6 and the feeding of the 5,000, right? Because the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes, you prayed over them, it distributed them, they had plenty left over, right? And everybody was satisfied and they collected 12 baskets, right? That's what Mark chapter 6 tells us. Mark chapter 6 says, in fact, I'm going to read it. I, I just want to really make sure you get this. Mark chapter 6, verse 42 through 44. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Okay, you got it? So in, in, in Mark chapter 6, they picked up 12 full baskets of leftover bread and fish. Got it? Everybody, I understand. Everybody say, yes, I've got it. Okay. In Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000, it says that they, everybody ate and they were all satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets of bread and fish uh, leftover. So everybody say, I got it. So Mark chapter 6, how many baskets did they have? How many? Twelve. In Mark chapter 8, how many baskets did they have? So you can see, like, it's not quite as big a deal as the 12, right? Because, like, the disciples, the 12 disciples, they had all had their own little baskets of food. They could, like, so you can see now why the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 4,000 is kind of like an also-ran. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a story, but it's not that big of a story, right? Right? Because what's the difference between 12 and 7? What's the difference between 12 baskets that they collected in Mark chapter 6 and 7 large baskets they collected in Mark chapter 8? Well, like, what's the difference? Somebody down You guys are all smart. You guys are all young. Hey, Ken, come here real quick. So... Stand up right here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Quick, quick, quick. I know you're smart. I know you're smart. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Okay. Okay. What's your name? Josh. Josh. How many, what's the difference between 12 baskets in Mark 6 and 7 baskets in Mark chapter 8? Five. Okay. Let me say that again. Because I know you're smart. What's the difference between 12 baskets in Mark chapter 6 and 7 large baskets in Mark chapter 8? What's the difference? What's the difference? You're smart. Five. Okay, let me ask you one more time. <laughs> in Mark chapter 6, it says that there were 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. In Mark chapter 8, it says that there were seven large baskets of leftover bread and fish. So what's the difference between 12 and 7? What's the difference between Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8? You're smart. What's, what's the difference? What's the difference? Nothing. No, no, there's a difference. There's a difference between... <laughs> there's a difference. There's a, there, 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 you're smart. That's there's right. a difference between Mark chapter 6 and Mark... So let me say again. There were... 12 baskets left over in Mark chapter 6, and there were seven large baskets left over in Mark chapter 8. So what's the difference? Quick, you're smart. Seriously, you're smart. Both are a miracle. No, no, no. no. You, 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 <laughs> dude, you're, you're overthinking this. What's the difference? What's the difference? There was 12 in one and seven in the other. So what's the difference? There's five. Yeah, you're wrong. Totally wrong. Have a seat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're totally wrong, okay? So everybody thinks, well, there's fives. Like, so that, that's why one was bigger and one was smaller. Completely wrong. Because if you go to Mark chapter 6 and you spend a little time digging into the word for basket in Mark chapter 6, it's the word kofinos. And the word kofinos literally describes a little small basket, like a lunch basket, like something you would take to school. Like when I was in second grade, I had a little Evil Knievel lunchbox. I found it the other day. It's so cool. I looked it up on eBay. It's worth $500 right now. I'll take 480 after the service. Anybody want to start out yet? I've found it. I've got it at home. I'm protecting it. That is my retirement right there in that little lunch. So, so that's Josh. You got it? So in Mark chapter 6, they had 12 little lunch baskets ready to go, full of bread and fish. So all the disciples had their own little lunch box full. You got that, right? In Mark chapter 8, the word was spuris. It's a different word for basket. And in fact, it's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 9, verse 25. It's the same kind of basket that they let Paul down off the wall in Damascus where he got in the basket and they lowered him down. That's the word that's used in, in, in Mark chapter 8. So the difference is this. 
that in Mark chapter 6, they had 12 little lunch pails full of bread and fish. In Mark chapter 8, they had seven huge baskets that human beings could actually get in and hide in, and they had that full of bread and fish. So Josh, what's the difference? The difference is that God did a bigger miracle the next time than he did the last time. You see the lesson? You see, we're so quick to forget what God did yesterday. And yet what God does is he keeps showing up and doing bigger things tomorrow. You think, man, the faithfulness of God in the past, I'll never see that kind of faithfulness again. And what Jesus keeps doing is he keeps showing up and he's doing more and more, more amazing things every single day. In fact, the Gospels, man, it's a picture of it. Remember how I told you about how that in Mark there's you know, Mark records like 17 miracles where Jesus defeated disease and nine where he defeated nature and six where he defeated demons and, and three where he defeated death. Like those were all big things, right? And so he told that story, told that narrative. And man, you think like, man, that's amazing what Jesus did. But yet he saved the best for last because what Jesus did in the end of the book of Mark is he died on the cross for our sins to pay the sin debt that none of us could have ever paid. And then he was buried. And then he, in his own power, he rose from the grave to give us victory over sin, death, and Satan. And today we recognize that Jesus will do more for us tomorrow than he's ever done for us in the past. So the next time you're facing one of those moments where you're out in the wilderness in the desolate place and you're hungry and you're looking for bread and it's just not found and you don't know what to do and you forgot about how Jesus fed the 5,000 yesterday and you're sitting there like the disciples, like, what do I do? How can I find it here? Remember this. Jesus will always do a greater work tomorrow. That's the picture of God's word. That's why it says that nothing is too hard for him. That's why it says that he comes to give us life more abundantly. It's why it says that he, in Ephesians chapter 3, will do more for us than we're even smart enough to ask or think. Jesus will never let you down. Now, aren't you grateful that the feeding of the 4,000 is a story that God did not leave out? Because today, that's the story that you just might need to make it through your next desolate place. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope and the help that you give to us, that you make so abundantly clear in everything that we're going through. Father, today I pray for every person gathered in this room. A lot of people were hurting. A lot of people watching, going through trials. A lot of people are going through tribulation. But here's what I know, God. You're so faithful. We stand amazed. So God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just do, Lord, incredible things. God, help us to remember your faithfulness because it's so great. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more.
Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.